Turn with me, please, this evening to the book of Hebrews, Hebrews 13. We began a couple of weeks ago on a new series, and this is our uh, main text, Hebrews 13.5. 13.5 says, let your conversation be without covetousness. And be content with such things as you have, for he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you, so that we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper, I will not fear what man shall do to me. The NIV says, keep your lives free from the love of money and be content. So let your life, your way of life, your whole manner of being and living be what? Without covetousness. That's the name of our series right now. Without covetousness. And if you've been here, do you believe it's important that we learn about this and that this happens? Should we get on a quest? Believing God to eradicate from ourselves, from all of our life, all of our way of life, every bit of covetousness. Now, don't assume that you don't have any to deal with. If you got flesh, hmm? anybody in here got flesh? Well, sure you do. Did you know what the nature of your flesh is? Yours. Mine. Selfishness. The nature of your flesh is selfishness. Now thank God. If you've been born again. The love of God. Has been shed abroad. Not in your flesh. Not in your head. Right? Not in your emotions. Your feelings. But in your heart. In your insides. By the Holy Ghost. And that's stronger if we'll yield to it than the uh, desire for oneself. Love, by its very nature, is unselfish. Remember, 1 Corinthians 13 talks about love seeks not its own. One translation talks about it's not selfish, it's not self-centered and self-seeking. And that's one of the chief characteristics of love. God so loved the world that he what? Well, now that's something for you. Right? Love gives. Selfishness takes. Selfishness just thinks about what I want, what I like, what I want you to do for me, what I need. And that is a miserable existence. Did you hear me? If all you think about all the time... Is what you want, what you need, what somebody ought to do for you, what somebody hadn't done for you. If everybody's forehead was a TV screen and you could see what they were thinking about, it'd be very distracting. But if you'd see so many times, so many times, it would be about their self. Some way, some form or fashion. Did you know if all you think about is your problems, that's still a form of selfishness because you're still thinking about yourself, what you're having to deal with, what you don't have, what you need. And faith doesn't work by selfishness. It works by what? Love Love, and love is not self-seeking. Right? The life of freedom Is the life of not thinking about yourself from early to late. Oh, it's freedom. It's liberation. Somebody might say, well, what am I going to think about? Somebody else. (laughs) Besides you. I know it's a novel thought, but it is the way of the Lord. It is the love way. And if you're not thinking about what you don't have... You can't be unhappy about what you don't have. 
You see how many problems it solves? Just, I mean, it just starts fixing things all over your life. I know uh, I was about five years into the ministry. And I was perplexed about some stuff. And I was praying, praying, praying about it. And you know, you have to watch. Prayer can just be a worry session. You call it prayer, but it's not godly faith praying. It's you going over for the thousandth time what's wrong like God forgot since this morning when you told him. Oh, God, we got to have this and we got to do this. And I just don't know him. God is not amused. He's not impressed. And uh, the Lord, I laid on the floor and finally kind of ran out of gas. <laughs> praying. Or I shouldn't say praying, doing whatever I was doing, making noise. And the Lord spoke to my heart. I don't mean I heard an audible voice, but laying there, I finally got quiet. And just laying there, didn't know what else to do, tired of saying the same thing over and over again. And I suspect the Lord was, you know, tired of hearing it. And he said to me, he said, Keith, if you'll just forget about you, it'll solve about 90% of your problems right now. Because he talks to you the way you understand. And I lay there and I thought, huh. <laughs> if I just forget about me, it'll solve 90% of my problems right now. And I thought, well, if I forgot about this thing I'm worried about, well, that's me. And this other thing, else, that's me too. And this other thing, that's definitely me. If I for, just forget about me. He's right. Are you listening now? It's such a big deal. And see, why am I talking about that? Because that's where covetousness has its anchor. Its connection point is in one's selfishness. So in order to talk about covetousness, we've got to deal with this. Selfishness. Does anybody in here besides me have to do with selfishness? Every person on the planet that has flesh. All you got to do to be selfish is wake up in the morning and go with what crosses your mind and how you feel. But you can live a different life because the love of God has been shed abroad inside you and you can feed that and you can let that rule you and dominate you. And you can walk in faith and love and the peace of God and all the fruit of the Spirit instead of walking in the flesh. But it's a decision. It's a choice. Every day with you and I. And it's this thing is tied, this selfishness is tied to this covetousness. That's why he said, let your life be what? Without this. Now let me read this to you. This definition we've already talked about. What is covetousness? Well, literally, covetousness is desire. To desire something, or we'd say in, in the country here, to want it. Want it. And strength of desire runs from want it a little bit to uh, gotta have it. But it's all the same thing. It's desire. Another uh, definition says to delight in, to long for, to sigh for, to set the heart on. Now, did you hear those words? To long for. What are these definitions of? Covetousness. You long for it. What does it mean to sigh for something? You see it and you go, Ah, oh, I got to have that. Did you know you can covet a thing, you can covet an object, a thing, a place, you can covet a position, you can covet a person. You know, teenagers, I used to be one. You know, the Beatles had a song, it started out, hello, I love you, would you tell me your name? Anybody remember that? Hello, I love you. Won't you tell me your name? Um, that is what teenagers and some old teenagers, some 50-year-old teenagers. Now, what do you mean by that, Brother Keith? 
Just because you got a 50-year-old body does not mean you have a mature spirit in mind. There are some infants in some 60-year-old bodies. Watch them pitch a temper fit when they don't get their way. I mean, you know, boy, somebody didn't like that. I didn't call your name. Just look straight ahead. But how could you love somebody you don't even know them? Someone says, well, I, I do. We're talking about falling in love, as people call it. I just, I saw them and, oh, I've got to have them. You don't have a clue what love is. You know what you want. Or you don't even know that. You know what you think you want. And so much of it has nothing to do with reality. It's fantasy. I had a couple in my office one time with marriage troubles. They hadn't been married very long. And she was so upset with her husband because he wasn't like so-and-so in a movie. <laughs> Eventually, they kept talking about it. And I thought, well, who is this? This is somebody you know. No, you know in the movie. I thought, whoa, whoa, wait. Do you know what people do in movies? They're acting. They're not like that. They're on marriage number five. They're pretending. And when they hell cut, they quit and go back to their uh, trailer and light up a cigar or something. You know, you might know what I'm talking about and could care less. But people get stuff in their eyes that they watch or they hear about and they think, why aren't you like that? Whoa, what are you like? What you're wanting them to be doesn't even exist. No. We can have reality that far exceeds anybody's goofy fantasy. But you've got to be a giver, a sower, not a taker, not covetous. Can you say amen? I've said across from people... I've heard this, I don't know how many times. Marriage, you know, people say, well, we don't love each other anymore. We're getting divorced. There ain't no hope. It's all over. And it all, it sounds like this again and again and again. Well, I need this from you. And you never do this. And you never do that. And I need this. And I don't have this. And if you would do this, the other person says, well, you don't. You don't do this. And I have needs too. And why don't you give me this? And you won't give me that. Both people are saying, give me, give me, give me. Nobody's giving anything. There's nothing to receive. And that's how relationships gets deader and deader and more barren. Because nobody is sowing. It's just selfishness. I want, I want, I need, I need. That is the way of the unsaved, ungodly world. It ought not be a Christian. We get up in the morning, we think, who am I going to sow to today? Well, there's my spouse. I'll start sowing to them right now. What can I give them? What can I sow to them? Your family is good ground. Make investments into your family of your time and your love and your resources. Make investments. So, so, so. And what if the man is always trying to sow to his wife and the woman is always trying to sow to her husband and the parents are always sowing into the kids and the kids are always sowing into the parents? What kind of life would that be? Would you receive this? They go, well, would you receive this? Let me give you this. Now, let me give you this. Great. I'll take it. But you take this. Giving, 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 then there's going to be so much to receive. And it's going to be heaven on earth. What's the enemy of this? Selfishness. One of the biggest scourges of the planet. Just about any bad thing you want to talk about, that's where it comes back to. Selfishness. Which is directly, you know, covetousness is a strong desire for something I want. And I don't care who it hurts and what it takes to get it, I want it. And I'm going to have it. And that causes pain. 
that causes terrible things in the earth. Go with me, if you would, over to the book of Genesis, and let's go over some things, a little bit of review, and then go further. Are we on a, uh, a mission? What is it? Search and destroy. <laughs> what are we looking for? We're looking for covetousness, because we've got to know what we're looking for. So when we find it, we'll know it. And then when we find it, what is our objective? Eliminate it. Right? From our life in such a way that we don't give room for it in the future. Now we're not looking for it in other people's lives. That's judging your brother and sister. We're looking for it in ourselves. Right? You suppose you could find some in yourself? Yeah, well, no need for testimonies. But if this is not for us, who's it for? What are we doing? No, it's for us. And like we've said before, man, this is big stuff. God is getting us ready. He is qualifying us for bigger things. And if you're full of covetousness, you don't qualify for a lot of things in the kingdom of God. That's what's going on. Genesis, the uh, third chapter we'll start with. This is how it all got messed up. You've read the story, but let's see how it happened, because there's nothing new under the sun. The devil's still trying to do the same stuff, and really he hadn't had to come up with any new stuff. The old stuff is just working just fine, but there's victory. Genesis 3, Verse 1, the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Yea, has God said you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said you shall not eat of it, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. So uh, with that knowledge, should you stay away from the tree or hang around the tree? Hmm? And this is so important. As soon as you find out something you are not supposed to desire, you need to place that thing off limits in your life. And you don't need to play with it. You need to stay a hundred miles away from it if possible. You need to take away anything that would give you access to it or it access to you. Make it easy on yourself, not make it hard on yourself. Can even a Christian, a child of God, desire something they're not supposed to have? Oh, yeah. That's the issue. That's the problem. Now, in talking about last week, how do desires get stronger? By feeding them. Hmm? By feeding them. It's like the story I tell about the stray cat. Y'all remember that, don't you? Huh? In fact, hold your place right here. And go to Ecclesiastes. Hold your place right here. In Genesis, we're coming back. But Ecclesiastes 6. Anybody didn't remember about the stray cat? Okay, a few hands. Well, you got to find out about the stray cat. Oh, yeah. Wrong desire. Is like a stray cat. Ecclesiastes 6. 6 and 9. Are you there? Ecclesiastes 6 and 9. Better is the sight of the eyes. Than the wondering. Of the desire. Than the what? Listen to what the Hebrew literally says. It says the walking of the soul. Walking around, translated here, wandering of the soul. You're supposed to keep a leash on your soul, on your desire. Like a dog that would, uh, you know, you have to put a leash on. Otherwise, he may be in the next county in a few hours. 
may go somewhere he's not supposed to go. She put that leash on him. And he'll want to go there, and he'll want to go there, and he'll want to go here. He'll want to go where he's not supposed to go. Where he'll get in trouble. Where he could get hurt. Where he could get you in trouble. But he's a dog. And you're supposed to be smarter than him. So you control him and don't let him go just anywhere. Well, your desire is that way. Your desire is like that. It'll want to go over here. It'll want to go over there. And it's sad that people have just let their desire run to the ends of the world. Desiring and fantasizing and coveting and acting like, I can't help it. That's a lie. If you can't help it, who can? It's your desire. If you're not in control of it, who is? Well, I'm just believing, I'm asking God to control me. He's not. Well, the devil got a hold of me. He's controlling me. He can't. You have to let him. Now, granted, the more you yield to him, the stronger it gets. And the more compelling and controlling it becomes. But that's because you just keep yielding. Just keep yielding. Just keep yielding. Just keep feeding it. Notice what he said. Better the sight of the eyes than the wandering of desire. This is what? Vanity and what? Vexation of spirit. Y'all are believing God with me tonight, right? There is deliverance here. In the word of God, there is freedom. We have untold numbers of people in the church. I'm talking about church nationwide, worldwide. Who are tormented and vexed. They spend all night on the computer looking at pornography. They got drug habits and alcohol habits and stuff on the side. They got secret lives. And try to, you know, prop up and put on a good face and come to church and put on a front. Friend, that's torment. That's vexation of spirit. You and I are not supposed to be vexed in our spirit. We're supposed to have peace that passes understanding. There is freedom. There is victory. But you got to do something. You can't just leave it all up to God. You can't plead helpless. And you can't call yourself a victim. If you're a victim, you're not a victor. You can't be both. Victims are conquered ones. Defeated, helpless ones. Victors are overcoming ones. You got to decide which one you're going to be. I'm just a victim, Brother Keith, of circumstances. I'm, I'm a victim of my desires. I'm a victim. And it's popular nowadays for everything to be an addiction. And what the end result of it is, is that they couldn't help it. Well, Brother Keith, I'm a sexaholic. And I'm addicted to sex. And I can't help it. Well, why aren't all of us sexaholics? Don't get too quiet now. Hmm? Well, Brother Keith, I'm a shopaholic. And I just can't control myself. I just get somewhere and I just spend my money and everybody else's money and, and I just can't help it. I'm addicted. Well, why aren't all of us shopaholics? Well, people will tell us, well, it's chemical and it's... Um, genetic and it's they don't know but even if it was now you're in a new family now you got the greater one inside now you got the authority of the name of Jesus and you do not have to live a slave to your flesh and serve your desires You can be a man of God free. You can be a woman of God free. Instead of your desires controlling you, you control your desires. Can you say amen? Amen. Why are people vexed? Why are they frustrated? 
Why are they in bondage because of all this stuff? Because they have allowed their desire to roam and wonder and have fed it. It's like the stray cat. Stray cat shows up at your house. Meow. <laughs> and you say, no, now, kitty, you can't stay here. We can't have you. We, you know, you got to find another home. But here, here's some gourmet cat food that I just happen to have. But you can't stay. Huh? So what about tomorrow? What's going to happen? Meow. Meow. No, kitty. No, I told you yesterday. No, you can't. And while you're saying it, he's rubbing up against your leg. Meow. What's that mean? Another can, please. Or two. And you go, no, kitty, but here's another can. Here's two cans. But right after this, you have to go. No, you got you a new cat. And if you just keep feeding that cat and feeding that cat and feeding that cat and you're saying, no, kitty, no, you have to go. And I mean, in six months, you got a 25 pound cat sitting on your chest and you got three cans of cat food going, no, kitty, no, you can't, you got to go. You can't stay here. I don't know why this big kitty is here. And people say that they act ignorant about why I'm so tormented with sexual desire or desire for things or desire for power or prestige or position. It's because you have fed it. It said meow, meow, and you fed it. Something caught your eye and you knew you shouldn't look at it. You knew you shouldn't desire it, but you went ahead and sat there and fed it. And fed it. And tomorrow it's bigger. And so you fed it some more. And the next day it's even stronger. Until it's choking your soul. It's sitting on your chest. Dominating your thought life night and day. And you're vexed. And frustrated. And you feel dirty. Can you get out? Is there freedom? Yes, 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 yes. How do we get this big fat cat down to size and gone? Say it out loud. Stop feeding it. Stop feeding it. Now, the first time you start cutting off the feed, you're going to hear some howling. And you're going to feel some stuff. And it may hang around for some time. But eventually, it'll get weak. Did you hear me? And it'll get smaller. And eventually, if it can't get fed with you, it'll go somewhere else where it can get fed. Did you hear me? It may take a little bit. How do I get free from these tormenting desires, Brother Keith? You must, by the grace of God, starve them. You must starve them instead of feeding them. I know it sounds simple, but it is just that simple. Said out loud, I am not a slave to my desires. My desires don't control me. I, by the grace of God, control all my desires. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Back to Genesis. You'll see that's exactly what happened here. In the beginning, it's been happening this way ever since. The woman was not confused. The man was not confused. God said, don't eat of the tree. Don't touch the tree. Don't mess with the tree. So if God tells you you're not supposed to have that, leave that alone. What should you do? Build you a curtain around it, or better yet, hire somebody to build you a curtain around it, right? While you stay at a safe distance, you plan your commute around it. You know, the Bible said uh, the wise man talking to his sons in Proverbs about the wayward woman, the prostitute, he told them, he said, don't go near the door of her house. What was he telling them? Don't give her a chance to talk you into coming in. 
If you don't go by the house, you won't see how pretty she is. You won't hear her seductive language. Did you hear me? Just don't go down the street. Don't go to that part of town. Are you with me now? See, people kid themselves about, oh, I can handle it. I can be around it. I'm not going to go too far. Famous last words. No. Like Joseph, when it got too hot, he ran right out of his coat. There comes a time where you can't talk no more. Run. If you have to, literally, run away. Why torment yourself? Maybe you used to have a drinking problem and God delivered you. But you hear a drink, you smell a drink, you see a drink sign and it stirs something up in you. People don't like to talk about these things, but hey, it's there. Well then, with somebody else, yeah, I never had a drinking problem. So seeing signs don't bother me. Being by a distillery doesn't bother me. But if you had a drinking problem, you may not need to be within five miles of that place. You see what I'm talking about? Everybody's different. It depends on what you have had issues with. But be smart. And don't even go near it. Put yourself distance between you and it. See, nobody knows what goes on in your mind and soul. You know, two people can see and hear the same thing. One be hardly affected. The other can't get it out of their mind for the next five days. You know yourself. Make it easy on yourself. Don't subject yourself to temptation. Don't even go down the street. If you haven't been controlling yourself with what you watch, if you need to, get rid of your TV for a while. Are you with me? Well, certain channels. Well, get rid of those channels. That way you can't accidentally turn it on and there it is. And sit there and watch. Well, if you hadn't been controlling yourself on the computer, if you have to, uh, either get rid of it, get rid of your connection. Well, I have to have it for my work. Well, do it where you're supervised, where you're with somebody and you're only there. You only use it those periods of time. Are you with me now? Do it. Someone says, well, I'm stronger than that. Apparently not. If you've fallen and fallen. Don't kid yourself. If you've had trouble spending money, stay out of the mall. I'm serious. Well, sometimes I need things. Find somebody that's going. Send them the exact amount. Ask them, would you pick that up for me? Well, let's go. No. Keep yourself away from the temptation. That's what they didn't do. God tells them about this tree. And next thing you know, where do we see them? Out there by the tree. Looking at the tree. Talking about the tree. Smelling the tree. Huh? Is that right? Read it with me. What does it say? What are they doing? Verse 4, the serpent said, you won't surely die, lying devil. But verse 6. When the woman, what? Oh, I mean, remember the Bible talks about the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life. That's what the enemy uses. Will your eyes want to look at things they shouldn't look at? Yeah, yours, mine, yeah. Something across your eyes and your eyes will go, yeah, yeah, I want to see it. I want to see it. You should say, you got no business seeing that. Yeah, but I want to see it. Will your eyes talk to you? They want to see. But there's stuff you shouldn't look at. How many, you know, don't raise your hands, don't testify, but there were things that you saw you wish you had never seen because you had to deal with it in your mind, sometimes even years later. What if you'd never seen it? Then you'd never had to even deal with it. You see what we're talking about? Make it easy on yourself. By being more separated. We're talking about holiness. But it's not this religious thing people think it is. It's just being like the master. And uh, 
the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes. Now that's the lust of the flesh. Looks like it would taste good. Mm-mm-mm. And the eyes. Oh, it's pretty. I think that's the prettiest fruit in the whole garden. Man, it, look how beautiful that is. And so the devil comes right alongside and goes, ain't that pretty? Ooh, that's pretty. That's the prettiest fruit. That's prettier than all the fruit you've been eating. They got a whole garden full of, how many think the other fruit was nice? God made it. They could have been eating fruit anywhere north, south, east, except this one. This one. Leave this one alone. But they're out there looking at it going, mm-mm. Ain't that pretty? And the devil says, how could anything that nice be wrong? How many know when your flesh wants something bad enough, it will go through mental gymnastics. Trying to rationalize it and make it all right. Yeah, but we're in love. Like they even had a clue what that would mean. Yeah, but, yeah, but these feelings are real. Yeah, I know. Death's going to be real too. How could anything that feels so good be wrong? It can. It can kill you. It can tear out your soul. But here they are. Looking and thinking and smelling and can you see this is where the first real mistake was made. Just being here. If they'd have just made up their hearts and minds, okay, we're not supposed to have it, so you got no business looking at it, thinking about it, talking about it. Stay away from that tree. And if you're walking out there and you didn't realize you happen to get too close to it, you go, oh, that's that tree. Up, oh, there we go. Just immediately go five miles the other direction. Then you and I wouldn't be here. <laughs> We'd be there. And it wouldn't be any cold weather or hot weather or lack or pain or death. Now God's fixing it. He's fixing it. Between now and when everything is fulfilled and restored, you and I got a job to do. But the enemy's here to derail us and take us down the wrong path. He can't make us sin. He can't make us forfeit our place in blessings. But he can work with our desire. Hold your place here. Go to James. Say it again while you're turning. I am not a slave. To my desires. I control. My desires. James 1. We were there. Just a bit ago. Thanks be unto God. Can yielding to a wrong desire. Cost you. Did it cost them. Sometimes just one time. Can destroy something. James 1. 12. Blessed is the man. That endures. Temptation. What does that mean? He doesn't give in. He doesn't yield. I've had men. Try to tell me how much of a man they were. Because of all the different women they were sleeping with. And basically what they just got through telling me. Is if a woman is available to them, or vice versa, a woman with a man, whatever, that they cannot pass up that opportunity. And they talked braggadociously as though it was because they're so amazing that women are available to them or men are available to them. And so they couldn't possibly pass up the opportunity. They think that makes them some kind of a above average man, it makes you a weakling. 
It's what it makes you. A weakling. I don't know about you, but I don't like anything in my life to be weak. You? I like strong, solid, strength. I don't like to think of myself as weak. But if you can't control your desire, then you're a slave to your desire. You're a weakling. Can you be strong in the Lord? Can your desire be yelling and screaming, but you be strong enough in God to say, shut up and grab your desires and pull them down and say, no, you will not. I don't care how bad you want that. I don't serve my flesh. I don't serve my desire. I have stronger desires to obey God, to please God, be faithful to my family and my church body and do the work I'm sent here to do. In a few clicks, your flesh is going to be dust. And how much pleasure you had and how much desire you fulfilled is going to mean nothing. There won't even be a memory of it. Oh, that's what the scripture said. In fact, we need to read it. You're there in James, right? Go to 1 John. I quoted part of it, but the Lord keeps bringing us back to it. We need to read it. 1 John 2 and 14. 1 John 2, 14. Y'all believing with me now, right? How many can close your eyes and see both in this room and all over the world and after this day CDs and series coming out of here and people all over the place finding strength in their spirit and standing up and getting free from these bondages and being the man and woman of God they're supposed to be and doing the will of God. And not wasting another year. Can you see it? It's happening. We're believing God together. Where'd the power come from? God's word. God's spirit. That's why you got your hands in your Bible right now. 1 John 2, 14. I have written to you fathers because you have known him that's from the beginning. I've written unto you young men because you are what? You are strong. Why are they strong? Can young people be strong? Yeah, you don't have to have walked with the Lord for 50 years before you can be strong. You can be 13 years old and be a strong man or woman of God. You can be 10 years old. You can be a little one and be strong. What do you say? Because you are strong. Why? The Word of God is dwelling and abiding and living in you and you have overcome the wicked one. Because that word in you gives you power and strength. Makes your spirit strong. So you're not a pawn of your flesh. You're not flesh dominated. You're spirit governed. He said love not the world. Neither the things that are in the world. Why would you ever tell a Christian that? Can your flesh get to looking and longing for something in the world? Yeah, if you let it. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Can you see what we talked about last week? What can help you overcome a strong desire for something wrong? A stronger desire for something right. Yeah, but my flesh loves dope. My flesh loves dope. Yeah, but your spirit can love God so much till it's stronger than your flesh's love for dope. My flesh loves sex. Yeah, but there's got to be something stronger in you. Is there something stronger in you that you love more? If you love God, it can overpower your flesh's desire for the world. Oh, can you see this? Well, how would your desire for God become stronger? Straight cat example. Instead of feeding the wrong desire, instead of feeding yourself eight hours a day on pornography and then wondering why you're in such a mess, feed your spirit on the Word of God. Read your chapter. Listen to good tapes. Come to good services. Hook up with people that love God more than you do. Let it rub off on you. And it won't be long. You'll be loving God so strong and so much until it's stronger than this other stuff. Feed 
your right desires. Starve your wrong ones. Does it matter what company you keep? Oh, big time. Thank God for your faith life family. He said, love not the world. Somebody say, I don't. Neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Now see, we don't like to look at this, this black and white. But why are there some people that you and I both know? They've heard some of the same things we've heard. Some of them have gone to church with us. But where are they tonight? And where, where have they been the last six weeks? Or the last six months? Well, like Paul said concerning some of his own staff. He said, they have forsaken me, having loved this present world. Where are they? Well, they're folks at a casino. They're folks in a house of prostitution. They're folks doing some underhanded deal to get money. Why? Because they love that more than they do God. Oh, no, Brother Keith, I don't. Yeah, you do. Or else you'd be here with us. Instead of there. Hmm? It's like a man saying, well, I, I love my family more than anything. Well, then why are you spending three nights a week with that prostitute? Yeah. Uh, yeah, but I love my family more. Well, why aren't you at home? You don't. You love that more. And the more you feed it, it's going to cost you everything. What can overcome a strong wrong desire? A stronger right desire. What can overcome love for the world? Greater love for God. Can you see? This is not complicated. What do you do? Put distance between you and anything that tempts you. Make it easy for yourself. If you need to, pull out cords. Cut off subscriptions. Have people with you when you do stuff and when you go stuff. Send people for you. Whatever you got to do. Drive five miles around. Whatever you got to do. And then, on the other hand, feed the right desires. Feed your spirit on the Word of God. Be around people that love God and believe in God and talk God. It won't take long. You'll come right around. Man, you'll do a 180. And all that torment you've been going through, be like a bad dream that happened to somebody else. I'm telling you, I've seen it. I have seen it. I don't care how strong out you are on dope. I don't care how deep you are in debt. I don't care how messed up your life is. God is well able to bring you out. Can you say amen? Amen. Say it out loud. I love the Lord my God. With all my heart. All my soul. All my mind. All my strength. God is my God. I have no other gods above him, beside him. I love God more than all. Hallelujah. If you do, that love and that stronger desire will overcome the others. It's a choice. He said, for all that is in the world. And here we go. See if any of this sounds like covetousness to you. The lust of the flesh. That's what your flesh wants to consume and wants to feel and wants to experience. The lust of the eyes. What is that? That's what your eyes want to see so that your mind can think about. And the pride of life. It is not of the Father, but it is of the world. And the world, what's going on with it? It's passing away in a hurry. And with it, all of that lust thereof. So why invest all your time and your thought and your life into something that is quickly getting out of here? Quickly going away. But he and she that doeth the will of God, what? Going to be around a million years from now and a million years after that. When all of this junk is gone and done and all tears have been wiped away from the results of all of it. 
What you did in the kingdom of God, what you did in the will of God, when you put your flesh under and you gave instead of took, that exists forever. Can you do it? Can you and I control our flesh and can control our desires long enough to do the will of God down here? Do our tour of duty and get out of here? Can we do it? Or must we live a pathetic, selfish, self-absorbed, weakling, desire-controlled life and die miserable, not having done the will of God? I'm not. Come on now. By the grace of God, say it out loud. I'm not. I'll not waste my life following desires. I follow God. I'll obey God. I'll do the will of God. Hallelujah. Mm-mm-mm. Don't you know? Don't you know? In just a few more heartbeats, just a few more breaths, you're out of here. You're, the trumpet sounds, or you're out of here. Either way, you're out of here. And what's drugs and peep shows going to matter then? Where are you? Go back to Hebrews, please. Seems like we're in Hebrews a lot these days, huh? We're reading there and we're talking about faith. And Well, Hebrews 11. Hebrews 11, 24. Hebrews 11, 24. By faith, Moses, when he was come to years, he grew up, became a man. What did he do? He refused something that was available to him. What was available to him? He refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Now this was not just a title. This was a life. And all that the title afforded. You talk about. Running after the desires of your flesh, you can do it when you are the son of Pharaoh's daughter. And nobody would have said anything about it. You could have had as many sexual experiences, all the money, all the stuff. You could have done anything and everything you could have imagined and fantasized and dreamed. You could have hired people to help you think up perverted stuff. You had the money. You had the resources. You had the freedom. In essence, you're above the law. You are the law. He could have done anything his flesh ever desired. But he refused it. Do you see this? He refused. He refused it. Verse 25, what's that first word? Choosing. It's a choice. This whole thing's a choice. You could be somewhere else tonight. Everybody around the world with us could be somewhere else except in front of their computer screen. They could be doing something else. They could be trying to make their flesh feel good. Like so many are. But you chose to do this. You could have just plopped in front of the TV and filled your mind full of junk and ate junk and talked junk. But here you are. Why? Why did you refuse to go to bed early? Why did you refuse to sit on the sofa and snack instead of be here? Why do you choose a life? That seems to the outside world to restrict your fun. Why don't you come party and smoke dope with us? Why don't you come drink till you're crazy? Why don't you come and sleep with three extra women tonight? Why don't you come? You've just, you've messed yourself up going to that church. Now you can't have fun. (laughs) The wages of sin is death. Is death fun? Sin. Can be fun to the flesh in the beginning. A lot of churches don't want to talk about this. 
They're like, oh, that's bad. That's bad. No, no, you know, all that stuff's awful. Well, your flesh don't think so. And apparently a lot of folks' flesh don't think so because they're sure doing it just as big and fast as they can. There must be something to getting high because there's a lot of folk doing it. There must be something to sleeping around. Read the rest of this. Choosing to suffer affliction with the people of God than to what? Enjoy. Is there some enjoyment? I think this is a place where the church is messed up. Because they've tried to tell people there was no enjoyment in sin. And the sinners all know it ain't true. (laughs) They're like, says you. Man, I had me some fun Saturday night. (laughs) Preacher can say all he wants to, but man, I had a good time last night. There is some joy. Enjoyment, I should say. Enjoyment. And what's the next word? Pleasure. There is some pleasure in sin. What's that next phrase? That's what you ought to get a hold of. It is very brief. And what comes after is bad. Yeah, there's some pleasure. Yeah, there's some enjoyment in sin. But it is very brief. And then comes death. Doesn't mean you just fall down physically and die immediately. There's all forms of death. Torment. How about the guilt? That's death. How about the loss of your self-esteem? Loss of righteousness. I mean, it goes on and on. Your health, your mental well-being, your spiritual, your economical. I mean, it goes on and on. Death working Indifferent. And don't question it. The wages of sin is death. You keep sinning, more and more dying will be going on in your life. And it's not worth it. Those few moments of pleasure, that hour of pleasure, that afternoon of pleasure, that day, that week of pleasure, is not worth the price you pay. When it's not like you have to, you know... Commit to never having any fun. God's got fun. God's got pleasure. God's got joy. Oh, you're listening now. And he's got the right kind. That never quits. That just gets better and better. And you don't have to feel guilty about it. He's got the right kind. If you'll go his way. Moses refused. The temporary enjoyment And pleasure of being Egypt's number one playboy. Hmm? Richest, most available bachelor. You know. Threw all that away. He said, "Uh uh-uh. It was available to him. He said, nope. Uh Uh-uh. I want something else more. Uh Uh-uh. He wandered around out in the desert. With these people that were his subjects. That were his slaves. And he took the grief they took and the punishment they took. Oh, but he also was caught up in the glory of God for 40 days and 40 nights. And heard the Almighty speak directly to him and call him his friend. He's not hurting now either. You'll see him soon. And he's somebody in heaven. He's somebody in the kingdom of God. That's forever. And he's having some fun now. Serious fun. Can you say amen? Say it out loud. Refusing. Temporary pleasure. Choosing. Eternal glory. Can you do it? Yeah, you can. Is it a choice? You have to make some choices. Glory to God. Thanks be unto the Lord. Thank you, Master. Uh, while we're here, go to James. I think I can finish with this. I'll uh, narrate just a little bit. You know the story. 
without going back to Genesis to finish it, how that they're looking. It's desired for food to satisfy the desire of the flesh. It's desires to look at, pleasant to the eyes, to make one wise, the pride of life. And they stood out there and they talked about it and they thought about it and they looked at it. And what happens when you do that long enough? You're going to act on it. You're going to do it. There were some uh, people trying to conjecture about did uh, violent sex offenders and all their feeding on violent pornographic material, did it have anything to do with their crimes? Duh. You got to do a multi-million dollar study to find that out and still don't know. Whatever you feed on increases your desire for it. And when that desire gets strong enough, you're going to act on it. Did you hear me? Good or bad? What if you feed your desire for God? You just feed it like some people feed on pornography. But you feed on the word night and day. You just think about God and you talk about God. You love God. You worship God. You run with people that love God more than you do. What's going to happen? Your desire will get so strong, it'll get you out of the bed in the middle of the night. And you'll be praying and praising God. It'll cause you to sow to the kingdom and give your whole life. You will act on those desires that become so strong in you. And you'll have a life that's wonderful. Are you in James? The Lord gives us the flow of this, exactly how it works. Verse 12, we began to read, let's finish it. James 1.12, blessed is the man that does what? He doesn't give in to the temptation. He refuses that. I know I could have that. You know, it makes you feel good about yourself. To look at something and go, yeah, I could do that. But it's wrong and I choose not to. God making you not. No, he's not making me do a thing. He's given me a free will. And thank God by the grace of God, I choose not to do that. And what will happen with a man that endures temptation? He'll be blessed and he'll receive a crown of life. Which the Lord has promised to them that love him. Crown of life. Let no man say... When he's tempted, I'm tempted of God. Why would the Bible say that? Because people have said that. God, why are you putting me through this? God, why are you putting this on me? Well, are you tempted to do something wrong? Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. God, why are you putting me through this? Then he's not doing it. God, why are you putting me through this? I don't know if I can take any more. Who said he was putting you through it? In fact, the Bible says, let no man say this. What does that mean? Nobody should say this. Say what? God's tempting me to do this bad thing. God's tempting me. No, he is not. And nobody should say that. God cannot be tempted with evil. Isn't that good to know? God is so good. He can't be tempted to do bad. And because of that, neither tempts he any man. How many believe the Bible now? Then don't believe some confused preachers. How many people is God tempting? Nobody. Are there any Christians being tempted? Yeah. Is God tempting them? No. Then what's going on? Very next phrase. He tells you. But every man is tempted. This is how it is with everybody. There are no special cases. There are exemptions. And this don't apply to anybody that's tempted. Whether they resisted it or whether they failed and yielded. It's this way with everybody. Every man is tempted when what? He's drawn away by the devil. No, folk wish it was. They wish they could blame it on the devil, but no. Drawn away by what? His own strong longing, desire, covetousness, 
Lust. Right? I want it. Your flesh won't. I don't care if you're born again. Your flesh wants it. And that's the thing that pulls you toward it. So depending on how strong it is, how much you fed it, is how hard it's going to pull you. How weak it is, then it's not going to pull you very much. You want something pulling on you all the time? Then you don't feed it. Every man is tempted when what happens? He's drawn away of his or her own lust. That's your own desire. Your own longing for something you ought not be longing for. Then what happens? And enticed. That's the devil. Out Back to the garden now. Adam and Eve standing out there by the tree. What is the devil talking to them about? What they're thinking and longing for. What if they weren't thinking and longing for it? He's got nothing to entice them. He can't make you do anything. He can't make you sin. He can't make you yield. All he can work with is whatever desire you got. But whatever's there, then he can entice you with that. He can come and say, you want that, don't you? And your flesh goes, oh, I want it bad. I know you do. Look, let me tell you, you hadn't noticed this. Did you see this? Ooh, did you look at that? Ah, ooh, I'm t- you got to have that. You got to have that. And you go, yeah, yeah, yeah. Look at it again. Let me tell you about this. Enticing. Working on you. And if you're dumb, you'll listen to it. And feed it. And the longer you do, the more you'll want it. And if you get to want it enough, you're going to start trying to make it happen. What's the solution? Cut it off. Starve it. Drawn of their own lust and enticed. And when that lust has conceived, if you feed it enough, it conceives in you, it'll bring forth what? Sin would be acting on these desires, yielding to these temptations. And then when sin is finished, what happens? You had your party. You had your fun. Now what? You do not just walk away. Here comes the bill. And the bill is death. We do not have to live victims. We do not have to live pawns. Controlled by our desires. Somebody said out loud, my desires do not define me. Do not control me. Stand on your feet. This ministry has been brought to you today free of charge by the partners of More Life Ministries and Faith Life Church. If you would like to help send this word to others at no charge, you can become a word sender today. For more information, visit our website at morelife.org.